Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. How many of you have ever been to Lakeville, Minnesota before? Suburb Minneapolis. A few of you, a handful of you have been to Lakeville. Uh, woo! Uh, <clears throat> Lakeville uh, holds an annual celebration. It's become rather uh, controversial in the last few years. I'm speaking of their annual baby crawl a thon. It's a crisis in Lakeville. Apparently, two out of the last three years, the winning contestants have been disqualified. Thankfully, they weren't found to be doping. (laughs) But here is the problem. In 2014, the local newspaper reports that the winning baby of the annual baby crawl-a-thon crawled like a bear on his hands and feet. Okay? That was considered by the judges to be an unfair technique, and so he was disqualified from winning his first race, okay? A year later, 2015, the winner, a 10-month-old little girl, Berkeley Bailey, was also disqualified as the winner. Berkeley crossed the finish line as the clear winner, but moments after the race, event organizers huddled and stripped her of her first and only title of her own, of her young life. This is what they did. And the judges ruled that since the tot had actually pulled herself forward with her left side and balanced herself with her right in the air, her right hand in the air, that this was not a conventional crawl, so she was declared disqualified, and someone else declared the winner. Conflicts and disagreements, as you might imagine, have ensued. And the president of the event, Diana Niemeyer, explained this to the newspaper, that the rules were established to make the competition fair and give everyone a level playing field, and she goes on, and it makes no much... No more sense than that. It's just a bunch of drivel. Uh, here's the deal. It, it, this is not fake news. This is real. Okay, this is real. It really happened in Lakeville, Minnesota. Google it and you'll just be astounded at the whole thing. But it just made me think, I, I'm so glad I live in Kansas <laughs> and, and not Minnesota. Now, why did I tell you this story? Do you think that those two babies are having problems coping with their loss, with their failure, with the fact that their titles have been stripped from them. Are they, is this traumatizing their future? Only if it traumatizes mom and dad, that's the only way. But but if mom and dad can deal with it, guess what? You know, this little boy, this little girl, they will be just fine. And that's because 10-month-olds aren't crippled by loss or failure. It's 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds. It's all of us. And so that's why we're talking this morning about overcoming failure. And one of the greatest failures in all of history is recorded in the Bible. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he was arrested and tried before the Jewish ruling council. One of his most promising disciples failed him and did it royally. Three times Peter denied knowing Jesus. And on the last time, the Bible tells us that Peter and Jesus were in, within eyeshot of each other... And listen to what the Bible tells us took place in that moment when Peter denied him the third time. Just look at what Scripture says. At that moment, Luke 22, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. And this is what, what the Lord had told him earlier in the evening, a few hours earlier. He told Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. 
And after remembering that, verse 62 goes on to tell us that Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. And the guards in charge of Jesus began mocking and beating him at that point. They, they blindfolded him, said, prophesy to us who hit you that time. And they hurled all sorts of terrible insults at him. Now, can you imagine the feelings that must have been going through Peter and his soul? Just what was the humiliation, the shame, the guilt, the self-regret, the self-condemnation? Um, you think he ever forgot the look of that moment? How do you recover from a failure like that? You know, Peter recovered from that failure the same way that all of us recover from failure. Exact same way. In fact, if Peter could recover from that failure, you and I can recover from whatever failures we've experienced. I want to show you this morning in Scripture the recovery process that Peter went through. We're going to look at it in Scripture. And my hope is, is as we do this, I'm I'm going to walk us through this. I'm going to apply it to us. My hope is that you'll find whatever part of it is relevant to your life at this juncture. If you've got failure, some some loss that you've been grieving, that you've not been either coping with at all or coping with well, that you'll listen to what the Scripture says and that you'll apply it to your life so that uh, God can begin to bring a measure of healing and wholeness and restoration to you. I also encourage you to listen close as we walk our way through this, not just for yourself, but for the sake of your children, for the sake of your, your uh, brothers and sisters, your you know, aunts and uncles who are part of your life, your parents, for, for neighbors and coworkers. Um, because everybody experiences a measure of failure. And in many respects, the trajectory of our lives depends on what we do with that. I mean, the fulfillment of God's dream for you is dependent upon you and me processing and managing failure well. And so, uh, so I think that's part of why God tells us these things. We're going to work our way through it. If you have your Bibles, open them to uh, John chapter 21 this morning. John chapter 21 is the passage we're going to look at. Several verses here. But the events we're going to read about happened a couple of weeks after Peter's denial. A few weeks after Peter's denial, a few weeks after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as well. By the time we get to this passage, Jesus has already spoken to Peter at least once. And with that background, I want us to read and just uh, look at what John 21 tells us. You got uh, that spot in your Bible? John chapter 21. If you don't have one, a Bible there in front of you, you can follow along on the screen uh, with me. But this is what the Scripture says. Later, start with verse 1, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. You know, it's kind of like they'd just been sitting there staring at each other long enough, you know, probably sulking a little bit and still trying to figure out what, what's going on here. And uh, Peter says, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out into the boat. But they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, Fellows, have, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, Throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did. 
and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, put on his tunic, for he'd stripped for work, he jumped into the water and headed to the shore. Others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards out from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Kind of sounds good, doesn't it? It's always good. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. And so Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. And there were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. And this was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he'd been raised from the dead. And then I want you to follow the conversation that follows here that goes on. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself, went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? And Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? As for you, follow me, follow me. Now, every one of us lives with some measure of failure and regret, and every one of us can rise above it. Every one of us. And Peter and Jesus model for us here at least five keys to rising above failure. There may be more here than I spotted as I was working through this weeks ago. But but Peter and Jesus model for us here five keys to rising above failure. These keys are not difficult to understand. I mean, this is not complex math that we're going to walk our way through here. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time developing each of the keys, but my hope is that as we work our way through this, I want to point out each key clearly so that you see it in the text. And my hope is that, as I said a few moments ago, that you'll take it and say, if one of these is relevant to you at this juncture in your life, that you'll act on it. If it's relevant to somebody in your, your sphere of relationships, that you'll follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and kind of nudge them in the right direction as he leads you to do that. But my hope is that you'll take note, that you'll remember these things, because even if the degree of failure in your life at the moment has been fairly minimal, let's just say this, it's a safe bet that there'll be more. And it's not because you are bad or unskilled, it's because failure 
is often the pathway to the transformation of the human spirit by the power of God. It's just what happens in a world that's broken and messed up. So we're going to talk about these five keys to rising above failure. And the first key is this. We need to courageously face our failure. That's the first key. We need, if we're going, to, we're going to rise above, we've got to courageously face our failure. You know, despite Peter's shame, his guilt, his embarrassment, his humiliation, Peter faced his failure. When he saw Jesus from the boat, I want you to notice how he responded. What did he do? First thing he did was he got out of the boat. He didn't just sit in the boat wallowing in self-pity or self-condemnation as he looked ashore and saw, oh my goodness, this is Jesus, the one I failed. I'm just going to stay right here. It was not his response. What's he do? He jumps in the water and notice this, Jesus swam, or Peter swam to Jesus, not away. He didn't swim away from him. He didn't head toward the middle of the lake. He headed toward the shore where Jesus was. Here's the point. Temptation is for you and me when we fail in some way is that we want to hide from it. We want to hide from the person we failed. We want to hide from the circumstance. We want to hide personally. We want to publicly hide. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want anyone else to know about it. Sometimes we hide from God on the whole matter depending on what's taken place. Peter is modeling for us in very simple ways that if you're going to rise above failure, at some point, you must summon the courage to face it. You need to swim at it, not away from it. Courageously face it. Second key to rising above failure is that you and I need to realistically and honestly talk the failure through with somebody. I mean, Peter talked his failure through with Jesus. I mean, that's a whole chunk of the text, really what it's about. And if you notice, it's not a coincidence that Peter's three denials were matched with Jesus' three questions. That was not a coincidence. That's why when you read in the text, Peter is hurt. He was hurt that Jesus asked him the question, a third time. Do you think facing, facing his failure and then talking it through was easy for Peter? I mean, that, that's a, a no-brainer question, isn't it? It would have been incredibly difficult. But Peter courageously faced his failure and he honestly talked about, let me hear me on this, the heart of the failure. He didn't just talk about the circumstances of the failure. You know, when you were talking with the... Jesus could have taken this approach to the discussion. He could have said, you know, when you're around the campfire, if you would have left the campfire a little earlier, you wouldn't have have found yourself in this situation. Okay. He he didn't say, you know, if if you'd have said this instead of that, you would not have stumbled in this way. I mean... What, what is that? I mean, all of those kinds of responses are what we often do about when we do talk through our failures. We're talking through the peripheral issues of it. As though somehow that doesn't, somehow adjusting that, we can still hide the heart of the matter. But what Jesus did was he went right to the heart of the matter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Here's what Peter learned. 
that in Caiaphas' courtyard, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, for a moment his fear triumphed over his love for Jesus. That's what he learned. At least for a moment, his fear triumphed over his love for Jesus. And so part of the healing process from Jesus' perspective, clearly, was he denied him three times, and we give him three times to express, reinforce his love. You and I are going to rise above failure. We've got to realistically, honestly talk it through with someone. And not just the peripheral issues. We've got to get to the heart of the matter. What was really at the heart of the failure. There's a third key that shows up in the text. To rise above failure, we need to commit to shepherd others. We need to commit to shepherd others. This, this is where failure is redeemed by God and us for good. This is part of the ongoing healing process of not only courageously facing our failure and talking it through and understanding the heart of the matter, but this also helps us to further understand the heart of the matter and help someone else who's going through something like what we've gone through. Jesus asked Peter to shepherd a whole bunch of people who would live during a period of history when violent persecution of Christians would become common. This is what Jesus was asking Peter to do in John 21. He was saying... Will you shepherd my sheep? And his sheep were about to be stalked by every form of evil on the planet. Christians during that era were killed with rocks and swords and fire. They were crucified. They were fed to lions. They were mutilated in Roman Colosseums. I could go on. But do you suppose that the widespread knowledge of Peter's failure and the fact that he was coming alongside of people to help shepherd them during this time, do you suppose that that widespread knowledge helped some remain faithful as they themselves went through the very kind of thing Peter did? And do you suppose that for those who stumbled and failed, like Peter did, found hope? That if one of Jesus' closest most promising disciples could stumble and fall and yet be restored and redeemed. Maybe, maybe there's hope for me. You see what's going on? It's not enough to just know what went wrong and courageously face it. Somewhere along the line, we've got to, we've got to follow the lead of God, which is to shepherd some others who have stumbled or could stumble like me. You know, just as God redeemed Peter's failure, he wants to redeem ours, and he can if we will commit to shepherding others who find themselves struggling like we have. It brings us to a fourth key to rise above failure. We need to graciously accept what can't be changed. I want you to listen to Jesus' words in John 21 again. Look at verse 18. I tell you the truth, when you were young, he tells Peter, uh, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw them behind, saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, which, by the way, just in case you're wondering, this, 
it's sort of the veiled way that John, the apostle who wrote the book of John, makes reference to himself. And so anytime you're reading that, it's just like the, Peter turned around and saw behind them John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and the one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? And Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Anyway, we have two brothers or two boys. And uh, something happens to the one, the other one routinely says, what about him? What about him? What about him? You know, this is just male competition, okay, going on here. What about him, he says to Jesus. Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? That is in the Bible, that kind of statement, parents. What's that to you? As for you, follow me. Follow me. Now, Peter had to accept some circumstances of life, according to this passage, that he couldn't change. If you read the book of Acts, what Jesus prophesied here was exactly what came to pass. Peter had to accept some personal circumstances that he didn't particularly like and wasn't thrilled about. And as a result of that, he decides to, to draw somebody else near him. What about him? And, he, and suddenly he finds he's got to accept some consequences, some circumstances of somebody else's life who might get it a little better than him. It might turn out better for him. And Jesus is saying, that doesn't matter. I'm asking you, Peter, you, follow me, follow me. Here's the point. We don't know if those circumstances were a consequence of Peter's failure or not. But this we know. Failure often has unforeseen consequences. Some of those consequences can be overcome with patience, with character development, with facing the mistakes and failures that we've had. Some of them can be overcome, but hear this, some of those consequences must be graciously accepted because they can't be changed. They are what they are. And when they are finally accepted graciously, what happens inside of us is that the door to peace, joy, contentment, life is once again open. It's like the clouds part and suddenly the sun begins to shine again. Because we've accepted what can't be changed. We've humbled ourselves before a holy and righteous God and embraced reality that sin, consequences of failure, there are a lot of things that have, that have consequences that I don't like. But guess what? Continuing to rail against God or fight against those things is not going to make things better. Wisdom and humility comes to a place of humble acceptance of that which I cannot change. Brings me to the fifth key. To rise above failure, we need to graciously accept what can't be changed. And the fifth key, we need to be grateful. We need to be grateful for undeserved second chances. In fact, what I'd say is that once we've come to a place where we can graciously accept what can't be changed... It opens the door in our souls for gratitude for the fact that I get a second chance. God's a God of mercy. Failure isn't final. Peter didn't deserve a second chance any more than he deserved a first chance. You know? But God gave him one. He'll give you and me one too. 
We need to learn to count our blessings. And not all the things that are not going right. Last year, some college students in New York City set up a chalkboard one morning along a prominent sidewalk. And at the top of the chalkboard, they wrote these words, Write your biggest regret. This is the chalkboard right here. Write your biggest regret. And that morning, as people were walking to work or various places, they noticed the chalkboard, and the chalkboard began to be written on it. Soon it was filled to overflowing with written regrets and failures that were both touching, they were thought-provoking. People wrote things like, uh, you know, I, I regret burning bridges. I regret never speaking up. My failure was not, not being a good husband. Or I, I should have spent more time with my family. Or I regret staying in my comfort zone. I regret not saying I love you, not verbalizing it. I regret never applying to med school, not making the most of every day, not being a better friend, on and on and on the things that were written on the board went. And this went on all day, but late in the afternoon, the students erased the chalkboard and wrote these words at the top of the board. They wrote the words, clean slate. One young woman who had just written her regret watched as the failures were erased and as the words clean slate were written. And she said this with tears in her eyes as the words clean slate were written. She said, I feel hopeful. That means there are possibilities for me. It's important that we all hear this. With God, no failure is final. You can be his closest disciple. That God has an eternal purpose and plan for your life and you can fail. And it's not final. There may be some circumstances that come with that that you don't like. But if you and I will learn to courageously face our failures if we'll learn from them, talking them through with somebody, and if we'll commit ourselves to shepherding some others who are facing some of the similar kinds of things, and if we'll graciously accept what I can't change, which there are going to be aspects of this I can't change, and it will open the door, the window of our souls so that we can just be grateful that we have a God who gives second chances. We get a clean slate. You know, ultimately, that is why Jesus died on the cross. He wanted to help us overcome failure. He wanted to help us overcome sin. Because most of our failures are tied to sin in some way. Maybe not everyone, but most of them. So this morning, as we share in the Lord's Supper together, it's an opportunity, I believe, for every one of us to just look heavenward and... Maybe we've been blaming God for things that truly were our mistake and, you know, it just didn't go our way. And you just need to look heavenward and say, God, forgive me. Maybe for blaming you for my mistakes. Maybe some of us this morning have just been hiding. And we need to come before God and stop hiding from him and just say, God, help me to not hide from the people in my life. Help me to turn 
toward people and receive wisdom, help, comfort, guidance. Maybe some of us need to say, you know, God, help me to to stop hiding and start shepherding some of the people in my sphere of influence. I see people struggling with what I'm struggling with and I'm doing nothing. Maybe that's what he's saying today. Do something. Maybe you just need to accept what you can't change or be grateful. The Lord's Supper this morning, I think God is inviting each of us to come before him where we are and to receive He wants to heal. He wants to restore. He wants to strengthen you. Jesus would not have endured what he did. The insults, the beating, the public humiliation, the suffering, the death. If he didn't want something good to come from it. And what was good from his vantage point is that by his stripes we were going to be healed so talk to him about that this morning thank him for that our ushers are going to pass us a tray a couple of trays one tray has pieces of bread eat the bread pass it on another tray has cups of juice take the cup of juice and drink it pass it on the one's a symbol of his body the other is a symbol of his shed blood the price of your redemption bow our heads together. We'll pray. Our ushers will serve us and then our worship team is going to sing a song for us. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you are merciful and that you've extended second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifteenth chances and more to all of us. Opportunities we don't deserve. All of which, though, are opportunities of your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness fact that you care about us we thank you for your sacrifice Jesus what you endured that we might inherit eternal life which we don't deserve would you meet with us this moment this morning as we share in these emblems would you bring healing to the souls of all of us cauterize hemorrhaging emotion and pain of our failures heal us you shed your blood Lord Jesus that we might receive that would you give it to us this morning it's our prayer lifted in the name of Jesus amen the nature of sin and failure is to cause us to feel alone single person here, every person within the sound of my voice has been chosen by you. You love them. You're longing for them to love you like you love them. 
we don't get all the difficulties of life, how to understand that, how to rise above it. But we know that you've modeled for us how to do it in Scripture. Help us to just take the next step. Not try to understand how the whole path is going to play out. Not get hung up in whether it's all going to work out. Just give us the faith to take the next step. God, I believe you're telling each of us what that is for us. Because you care. Because you're speaking. Help us to have faith. To follow the leadership of your Holy Spirit. And we'll rejoice to be yours. Bring healing and help to us. This is our prayer and we lift it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you all.